0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio in Cumming, Georgia, it's time for Forsyth Business Radio.
1: And hello again, friends, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Forsyth Business Radio. I am your host, Amanda Pierce, joined in studio today by the Manili Law Firm partner and founding attorney Michael Manili. He has over 30 years of law experience and we'll learn more about him here shortly and also alongside Courtney Bernard Rance and she is the lead associate attorney for the Forsyth County office. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having us. Thank you for
2: having.
1: Well, I know that I have been working with one thing that I want to congratulate you on is your new coming office. I saw on Facebook not too long ago with the Forsyth County Chamber, you guys did a ribbon cutting. So first and foremost, for our listeners who might be unfamiliar with the firm, um, we'll let Michael kind of share a little bit about the breadth and depth of the firm. And then Courtney, I'd like you to tell me a little bit about that experience with the new Forsyth office. So go ahead, Michael, tell us about your firm.
0: We are an all family law firm. And by that, people tend to think principally divorce. There's a lot more involved in that, contempt, modifications, um, step-parent adoption, that sort of thing. But we are also an international family law firm, and that's probably what we're best known for. We've had a number of cases throughout uh, the United States, throughout the world, and we have five offices around the state. And as you said, our newest office is right here in Cumming, Georgia.
1: Congratulations on that opening.
0: It was a nice event.
1: The chamber does a really good job. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your role within the organization, Courtney. Sure.
2: Um, So like you said, I am the um, lead associate attorney for our Forsyth County office. Um, I am tasked with um, overseeing the daily operations of that particular office. Um, I currently have a team of four people, including myself, Um, have a paralegal I have my lovely receptionist and then I now have um, what's called a client care coordinator, which is our intake specialist. So I oversee that office, that team, and I also um, go out in the community and reach out, let everybody know that we are there, um, that we are looking to establish ourselves very much as an organization that is here to support the community and, um, provide um, excellent legal services wherever possible where are the other offices located sure
0: downtown atlanta actually Mm -hmm. midtown atlanta marietta lawrenceville uh, and savannah
1: now obviously there's not enough manili's to go around that each firm has an actual founding attorney or are there
0: no no okay (laughs) so we're lucky and and it's
1: unique in a sense that you are are here with us today So share a little bit about the history of the firm, because like I mentioned, you have over 30 years worth of law experience. So when did you guys come about?
0: Well, I graduated way back in 1989, way back in the last century, um, from Georgia State University and uh, worked in big firm law for a little while before I branched out and opened my own practice. So the firm has been running for over 30 years. Um, We started out in Atlanta, because that's where I thought you were supposed to do things if you were legit. (laughs) And eventually realized I needed to uh, not have that commute all the time. We opened up in Marietta as well. Um, We have 13 attorneys in the firm right now, as I recall, around 50 employees. Uh, And one of the interesting things about the firm is that uh, no office is an island. Uh, Courtney, it seems like every single day all the attorneys are working together, all the staff is working together, all the paralegals Mm -hmm. are working together. So, whereas Courtney says she's got four folks in her office, She has a bank of 12 other attorneys that she can draw on, and we all do throughout the day to make sure that we provide the up-to-date, last, and bestest, and greatest uh, legal answer and process for our clients.
1: That's amazing. Well, congratulations on your success and your continued growth. And just because it's new to me, you specifically mentioned international family law. And I know that Margaret and I had a brief conversation about that once upon a time. However, for our listeners, share with us a little bit behind that sector and and why it's
0: unique. It's unique because pretty much nobody does it. Um, So it is our niche practice, if you will. There are other people that kind of dabble in it, but it is principally what we do. And there are, So let me cover what we're talking about with international family law. Kind of at the core of it is something uh, called child abduction, and we've all heard about that. And usually it's parents. Um, they're going through a divorce, and they want to go home. So it doesn't matter whether it is home is Alabama or Albania or Azerbaijan, right? I want to go home. And what happens is that the parent who's from somewhere else takes their child that somewhere else because that's just what they think they ought to do. And so the Hague Convention uh, is an international treaty, about 100 countries are member states of it, that lays out the groundwork for how courts are to determine what court should make a custodial decision and how to return children. And so we are the preeminent firm in the southeast and certainly one of three throughout the entire eastern seaboard that does that, a whole lot of that all the time. Um, So we've had cases, like I say, throughout the world. Uh, We just had a child that one of our staff members returned back to his mother in Mexico, uh, traveled back with him to Acapulco. She flew him back there. We've had cases on all of the continents in the world except for Antarctica, where they apparently don't have a whole lot of family law needs. I get that. Um, so that's that's the core of it. And uh, our claim to fame started back in uh, around 2000 when we had a case that got international attention and was a, a big diplomatic fiasco between our country and France. And it resolved well for us. But probably the most defining feature was a United States Supreme Court win where uh, argued in front of the U.S. Supreme Court to a 9-0 decision. And that really helped cement our, our place in the world with that. Beyond the child abduction cases for international family law is also when people are from different places and they have property in different places, it may just be a divorce, right? So maybe they're here and they're also in um, Mumbai or Moscow or somewhere else, and they need to resolve their property issues in both places. The third kind of international family law case may be where they're both here um, and they're both planning on staying here, but they still have cultural understanding expectations normal normalizations that are from somewhere else and they need a firm that doesn't think well if you don't know what we do you don't much matter right that has that cultural sensitivity that kind of understanding that we you know peoples is peoples we're all basically the same but we do have cultural nuances and differences that need to be respected understood and uh, accounted for and that definitely sets us apart
1: i just learned so much i never really thought about there being that great of a need until you specified. That's something that, you know, if it's not in front of you, you don't see it, you don't, you know, recognize that there's a need for. But you brought up a lot of interesting points. Courtney, what would you say in your experience with the firm has been one of the more interesting cases? I know you can't use names, you have to use discretion and anonymity, but instances that you've encountered and had success with?
2: I would say kind of piggybacking off of Uh, michael spiel on how you know the work we do within the um international community i would say that we currently have a case um it was a divorce that we worked on um the both parties are here they have a uh, very young son and um there was a potential for the one party who has um, primary physical custody there was a potential for her to take off to um, a foreign country with that child, so we made sure that in the divorce decree there is very specific language that um, to prevent her from sort of doing that. Uh, there's very specific language that as soon as the case in the United States in Georgia is wrapped up, the parties would take that that divorce decree and register it in that foreign country. So that um, in the event she did take off with the child, there were you know we have something in place where we could. Um, pursue a matter in Georgia and then also if she were to successfully take off to that foreign country we could also um bring an action in that foreign country and it you know the the two jurisdictions would work together to bring that child back here so that I think um is probably my most uh I don't want to say rewarding but very interesting um, did not think coming out of law school that I would immediately dive into that type of work, but it is definitely interesting. We do some great work. Good for you guys covering both bases.
1: Now, out of curios- curiosity, because you mentioned foreign countries, so do you guys travel back and forth um, to kind of put these in place? But you mentioned, you know, possibly having counterparts or somebody that would kind of take care of it on on the foreign side. Tell me a little bit about how you kind of maneuver in and out of those cases and how much travel foreign and domestic is involved.
0: We did a lot of traveling before COVID. <laughs> Obviously, um, yes. Worked on cases in court in Costa Rica and Scotland for a long time. England, um, I say many, many places, but a whole lot less post-COVID. Um, but what Courtney is talking about is we also have uh, liaison uh, throughout, the, throughout the world. And in this case, uh, we've got some guys that we've been working with for years who uh, were immediately able to get our case filed in court And we work with them on a weekly basis to find out where we're at, what we're doing. And as we get closer to court, we will do a lot of woodshedding and preparing for the trial coming up the next day, uh, directs and crosses and all the kind of stuff that we'd be doing here, but working with our counsel there to make sure they're ready, they're up to speed, they know what our client's objectives are.
1: Very nice. Now, you know what question is going to come following this? Do you guys either A, have like an interpreter on staff or B, do you have multilingual... um attorneys within your, your fold? How, how does that language barrier kind of?
2: So we have, um, a number of staff members that speak multiple languages. Um, we both paralegals, um, support staff like the admin. Um, I believe we have one or two attorneys that speak another language. Um, so we are very much, and and this is, you know, part of the ethos of our, our firm is that we value, um, diversity Mm -hmm. so we do have a lot of folks on our staff that that speak multiple languages come from different cultures um yeah very nice
1: and how many languages do you speak Courtney
2: I only speak one like I could I could fake French if I had (laughs) if if I if I find myself in France and I have to like find like the market or the bathroom I could fake that but outside of that I yeah English nice
1: (laughs) well thank goodness for Google Translate these days exactly um it's very helpful (laughs)
2: Talking a little bit about your
1: community involvement and mission, you mentioned vision and values. Um, What are some things that are paramount to you at your firm? And I'll direct that question to Michael.
0: In terms of visions and values, probably the most satisfying thing about the work that we do is I would say the norm for a divorce firm is to say, okay, I got this thing I got to do. I got to get you divorced and you're divorced and best of luck to you. Have a nice life. See you later. Um, But the firm takes a very different view of it. Because our clients' lives go on well past divorce. We certainly hope so. Uh, They have hopes, dreams, aspirations. They have goals in their lives. And divorce is such a process, and all of the family law stuff that goes into it is such a process that it creates such an opportunity to do some really, really good work. Um, And I'm not sure why other firms leave that opportunity on the table to provide such a value, such a service to their clients, that you're looking after them that, that you're during the process of that planning for five, 10, 20 years down the road where the client wants to go. Um, the example that I'm often, uh, given is you think about somebody setting, charting a course and unless their course is straight on just one or two degrees difference way down the road, they're missing it as wide as you might've been going for San Francisco and suddenly you find yourself in Hawaii. Now, maybe it was nice. You found yourself in Hawaii, but that wasn't where you planned to go. So If you plan your course, if you set your strategy, if you think this thing through all the way, it is entirely possible and preferable, I think, to have your client in a place where he or she can do exactly what they wanted to do when they get through this particular phase of their lives. And that's very different about us. So we look for concierge-level service. We look for taking very good care of our clients. Um, We look for empathy, compassion. Um, and the other part about it is, I mean, we're very, we're very sensitive to where the client is coming from, but some of our cases still wind up in court. And I would say the other thing about our firm is that all of our attorneys are trained in being just fantastic litigators. So if the other side wants to take us there, okay, we can do that too. Aha,
1: I like it. It's said very well have you share with our listeners a little bit about you guys personally, if we may. But for those of you who are just joining us, I'm joined by Michael Manili and also Courtney bernard Rance. So Courtney, you made mention earlier that you had no idea that you would come out of law school and jump into a scenario like that. Are you a new graduate? How long have you been practicing? And tell us a little bit about why you wanted to get into law in the first
2: place. Sure. So uh, I'm not a recent graduate. Um, So I'm originally from New Jersey. I um, attended Montclair State University, a small um, liberal, liberal arts school in New Jersey. Um, I interned for a um, child advocacy office and um, originally went into that office thinking that I would be doing social work. Um, ultimately wanted to go on to get my master's of social work, but because I worked with a team of attorneys there um, who primarily did family law, um, really family law on the policy end. Uh, versus um, representing folks in court. So I worked with them. They turned me on to the idea of attending law school. Um, I was like, "Mm, I don't know if that's for me. But I I took the LSAT. I got a decent score. And I was like, all right, maybe this is for me. So, um, of course, that was the first hurdle of many um, as far as um, my legal career. So I then went on to Hofstra University that is located in um, Long Island, New York, and, um, I met my very lovely husband there who said that he did not want to stay in the North where I spent the first 25 years of my life. So
1: <laughs> I was. my next question was going to be, how'd you make your way to Georgia? Right. So I, I think we're getting there.
2: Yep. Yep. I knew that question was coming. So, um, so I was like, okay, where do you want to move to? And he goes, well, my mom lives in Georgia and I'm like, okay, let's go. So I moved down here in 2018. I've been here ever since. Very happy. Um, and then I started out doing real estate. I did not like it. I don't know why I deviated from my ultimate goal of family law, but that was a terrible decision. Uh, Luckily, as soon as I jumped online to find a new job, I found uh, the Manili firm, and I have loved every second of working for this firm. We are a fantastic team of people, and I would not I would not want to work for anybody else. <laughs> Aww, I
1: bet that's that's wor- warming to hear, is it not, Michael? <laughs>
0: that's good news. Particularly um, with uh, somebody the quality of Courtney, just hang on to her, yes.
2: <laughs> so how many years have you been with Neely? So I have actually, as of October 1st of this year, I would have been here for three years. Wow, congratulations. So, yes, yes, thank you. And previously, you
1: spearheaded which office before the coming office came So
2: about? I... Um, I cut my teeth at the Marietta office. That is where I started or um, worked closely with those folks. I miss them dearly, um, but ultimately I was like, I I can see myself kind of branching out um, because I, I currently live in Sandy Springs looking to move into Forsyth County um, because I've just heard so many good things. Uh, it's booming. It's booming. The, yes. <laughs> the school system is fantastic We're and education is pretty important to mm-hmm. me. So um, so looking forward to, to that. Good for you.
1: Well, congratulations. Thank and you. I'm, glad, I'm glad you made your way to Georgia. Thank you. <laughs> Share with our listeners, Michael, a little bit about your um, background, how you got into law and then also, you know, being a founding member of the firm, a little bit about that history.
0: Well, I grew up in Georgia, I've been here since I was five years old. So it's been a long, long, long time. Um, grew up in Cobb County and, uh, say started out in big firm life and, and opened my own firm Uh, doing a general practice for the most part and taking probably five years or so to gravitate to family law. And the idea was, you know, which do you really find your passion in? Where where do you live? Where's your, uh, yeah, where's your passion? And so from the different practice areas I was working in, the one that that really uh, hit all the bells and whistles was family law, meaning, right, where you are impacting family uh, people on their most personal level um, to where you can have the greatest good, uh, the greatest impact. And and where at the end of the day, you look at what you've done and you're proud of your work product. Uh, it really gives you reason to get up in the morning. It really gives you a reason to work hard for your clients. Um, part of probably why family law was that uh, I come from a, a divorced household uh, way back in the early 60s when that was a very rare thing, uh, raised by a single mother. Uh, my dad, I like to think—I don't like to think—that's the wrong t- term. Best way to think about it: we kind of lost him to Vietnam. He didn't pass in Vietnam, but he spent three tours there. Wow! Uh, so he spent an awful lot of time in Vietnam and didn't and didn't get a whole lot of access to him until much later on in life. And then in my my personal family story, part of a, a blended family, um, my wife had her child when we got married. I had mine from a prior relationship, prior marriage, and we have ours. And so we've worked through all those issues of what do step-parents do, uh, how do siblings work together when they come from other spouses, um, and having all that personal experience and having all that personal knowledge about what our clients go to go through intimately. Um, definitely made family law the only feasible, possible, particularly rewarding choice for me.
1: Good for you. I, and your passion and enthusiasm obviously shines through in the way that you speak fondly about it. I love the term that you use, blended family. There's so many different compositions today. Uh, Ordinary, traditional household settings are few and far between. Much like you said, I think my parents got a divorce in the early 2000s. And when I was in high school, it was taboo for your parents to be divorced. It was like, oh my goodness, your parents are divorced. Now grandparents are raising their grandchildren. You've got, you know, just such unconventional makeups of families. I think it's very unique, and I find that term endearing that you used.
0: Well, there there are two different schools of thought in family law. Um, the one that was predominant when I started was scorched earth, and you still see that around a fair bit. Uh, there was a famous law professor here in Georgia who used to say, if the parties don't hate each other by the time I'm done, I haven't done my job. And I just drop my jaw on that and say, how... Yeah. Prehistoric. Um, The other way of doing it is the way that we practice, which is, you know, humans are an intentional species. We're an intentional people. We ought to be able to craft a way if half of marriages are going to end in divorce and a fair number of those marriages have children involved, we ought to be able to craft a way to peaceably move on, um, to move on for the best interest of the children. Some folks talk about, well, we need to stay together for the children. And our experience has been, that's even worse. Uh, Because of what the children learn and what the children have to learn about self-sacrifice to stay with somebody that you shouldn't stay with. And so it isn't scorched earth. It's very much a um, way of finding uh, the process to get along better, to move forward better, to have an intentional life going forward. And what we find is that when our folks go through this process, at the end of it, they start to blossom. And if you stay close to them, and we do, we get to watch that spring event happen in their personal lives where they're going, this is who I am? I didn't know how great life was. I didn't know how great I could be. And we get to share that excitement and that joy and that success with them.
1: That is very exciting. It's kind of like the, the rainbow, you know, after the storm or yes. just like April showers bring May flowers. Right. Once you get to see everything go full cycle. Mm-hmm. Now, Courtney, um, with all of the services that you guys provide, I imagine that having relationships with resources like counselors or, but maybe you can share with our listeners a little bit about how you guide your clients in the direction that they need. additional resources.
2: Absolutely and so that it's interesting you brought it up because that is right in line with our providing concierge level service at our firm so it is not like Michael was saying it's not just what are your legal issues it is what do you need to find success once you're divorced what do you what do you need to find success once you have completed your modification of custody action so that might be do the children need counseling do we need to have a list of referrals for a, um, child centric counselor. Do we need, do they need a financial planner? Because they were part of a marriage where one spouse earned more and they're now looking at what am I going to do for money going forward now that I'm divorced. Um, and, uh, I think the other day we were sending emails back and forth for like mechanics for our our clients just in case their car you know, their car is to about to break down and they're like, holy cow, I don't know who I'm going to go to because they're so busy focused on, you know, their, their, their crisis that their, their legal crisis, they're not thinking about the other things going on in their lives. Um, so that is we, we actually physically have a referral list that we are constantly revamping, adding to um, for just like a host of services, not just legal. Very cool.
1: Now, just because I'm always a curious mind, and the moment that you said that, if you've not met him through the chamber, it'd be my pleasure to introduce you, uh, Mr. Tom Burgess. He owns the Christian Brothers Automotive here locally and coming. In addition, he owns two more franchises that are in the surrounding areas. So there might be some synergy there. Oh, yes, but my mm-hmm. question is, what are the qualifications or how do you vet the people that you add to the referral list? How could someone like Tom get on that list? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we vet them by finding out what their clients say about, what their customers say about them. We vet them by working with them personally. Um, it is pretty extensive to make sure. And the reason why is because we're going to say, you should go see this guy. You need a new car, you need to go see this guy. You need to get your car repaired, you need to go see this guy. We want to make sure, since we're taking very good care of our clients, that their experience is going to be consistent with what we're providing. And so that's what we're trying to establish when we're learning about somebody new. Um so it is a, not an extensive and long process, but a pretty involved process to get to the point to where they make it to our referral list. And like Courtney says, that list is ever evolving yeah, uh, and hey, ever improving.
1: Someone might get the boot if they don't provide the, the right. level of service mm-hmm. that you expect upon right. that referral. Right. I like that a lot. That you want to make sure that they're champions for their clients and customers, because it is your word of mouth and it is your reputation mm-hmm. when you offer that as a recommendation. Um, Really quickly, before I forget, where can people find you on on the World Wide Web if they'd like to learn more about the firm after hearing our conversation?
2: So we have our website. It is um, allfamilylaw.com. You can also reach us at our phone number. Uh, Our main Metro Atlanta phone number is uh, 770-421-0808. Um, and then we also have we are on a host of social media sites mainly Facebook and um, folks can just uh, search us in the search bar um, mm-hmm. the mainly firm PC yes and that's how um, although I was already talking to Margaret before your ribbon cutting that
1: is kind of what stood out to me because I follow you guys on Facebook so I nice got thank some, you some nice <laughs>
2: pictures
1: mm-hmm. um, as we're coming to the end of our show I would like to give you the opportunity to share something interesting with our listeners or a final piece of information or maybe just some words of wisdom before we part ways and kind of leave them with a final thought. You look full of wisdom, Michael, so we'll let you lead.
0: It probably is. All right, so we see folks when they're in a crisis. So probably the best thing that I could say is there really, really are brighter days ahead. There's a way of working through all of this to where suddenly the world becomes your oyster, um, to where there are opportunities presented to you that you never thought were there. And it has to do with... uh, I'll tell you, one of the saddest stories I ever heard was a lady came to me and she said, I've been married for 26 years, and I knew after the first week that I wanted a divorce. And I'm thinking about that's 25 years and, what, 51 weeks.
1: (laughs) That you've been in a marriage that you knew since week one you didn't want to be in. Of
0: misery, yeah. Talk about not living intentionally, or I don't think she intentionally lived miserably, but that was the way that was going. So the opportunities there to reformulate your life, to liberate yourself uh, and to have the life that you only dream of that you can create. That's there. It's all there. We're, we're in the self-growth business in that regard. So anybody that's thinking about that, um, it is well worth exploring. It's well worth pursuing because of the, the very positive opportunities there. Now, similarly, I think that when you come to a decision that, yes, I can do this, that opens the door also to saying, okay, but now is that what I want to do? Right? If I don't close that door and say, I'm stuck here, till death do us part, you can do to me whatever you want. When you start saying, I have the freedom to leave, it also opens up the dialogue to say, but do you want me to? Let's have an honest conversation about where this marriage is going. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to go their separate ways. It just puts them in a much better position to have that honest conversation about their futures.
1: Very interesting. That made me think of something really quickly before we parlay to Courtney. Um, if there are you know, certain cultures their arranged marriages. Mm-hmm. Certain religions, divorce is not an option. What if you have one party that would like to get out of that situation, but because of religious or cultural reasons, they're kind of bound? Do you ever get people that seek your counsel and they might be in a position like that? And if so, kind of how do you navigate those waters?
0: Yeah, a whole lot of those. Uh, we have a number of um, cases that come to us where both parties come from a different place. And the different place has very strong and very different values. And what the couple has found in moving here is that one still embraces old values and the other one's saying, no, I kind of like these new values. And they they start to pull apart in that way. And so an important part about what we're doing then is understanding where they're coming from, what their internal subconscious limitations are, what their familial limitations are, because their family will be all over them about where did you get this hostile idea that you can get a divorce? You can't do that and help them understand their opportunity for that liberation and for that freedom and to tell them that within the context of our culture, that's not only perfectly okay, it's expected. That's a part of your autonomy. Uh, And there are, yeah, there are a lot of um, gives and takes and pushes and pulls and um, some positive steps forward and fighting family and ex-spouses as they try to get them pulled back down to that boiling crab pot. But, yeah, fair bit of the work that we do since we do so much international family law involves that cross-cultural difference mm. and, and how we get people to a better place.
1: Very interesting. I actually went to high school with a, a pair of twins who will remain nameless, and they were um, offered an arranged marriage. But due to their modernization of their family and living here in the United States for such a long time, their parents actually said, if you choose to select your own mate, then... As long as they're a quality person, then, then we would support that. So they were kind of given both options. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And they both decided to choose for themselves. Nice. And both of them have mates who their parents mm-hmm. love. And, you know, I thought that was very interesting and very modern of the culture being that they've been in the United States for so long. Right. <laughs> Courtney, share with us some uh, kind of final thoughts, words of wisdom, or anything that you'd like to leave our audience
2: with. So um, the fact that the conversation has turned towards, um, this idea of culture, it's a great segue into what I was thinking. Um, So I come from a Caribbean background. Um, My mom is originally from Grenada. My dad is from Jamaica. So um, I had always had this idea of what my personal culture is, um, having grown up in it. And then I feel like that experience has made me – more conscious of cultural differences and how I take that into my practice Um, and working for this particular firm where our specialty is working with diverse folks, working with the international community, how I need to, uh, at the forefront of my mind, it should be what cultural differences may be present in this case that I'm not taking into account that I need to. And that could also help explain not only my client's, actions, thoughts, beliefs, feelings, but also the opposing parties, um, acts, feelings. So, um, just keeping that in the back of, of my mind is, I think, a really big part of my success at the firm and, um, and how I can continue to see success.
1: Well, I love that. And again, it sounds like you both are very enthusiastic about your mission and how you serve the community. And congratulations on your success thus far. And I know that you have many great years of winning cases ahead of you. Thank you. Um, just out of curiosity, where do you guys see yourself in the next three, five, ten as far as multiplication of firms or expanding the radius of of your reach?
0: I'm glad that you asked. We have several more offices in Georgia that we'll be opening in the next few years. And we're about to take our first step out of the state uh, where we've we partnered with people in other states. We're about to open our own firm in um, Charlotte, North Carolina. Very nice. And immediately after that, we go international. We've got several <gasps> locations picked out. And we start next July in identifying specific like street addresses uh-huh. uh, for these different international offices. And that's where we'll be.
1: That's exciting. It is. Wow! Very exciting. Congratulations on your success, and I hope that you get to have some fun traveling to your international, your international firm.
0: Oh yes! Locations. As a matter of fact, we're fixing to take off for a week long training in Saint Croix.
1: Oh, <laughs> thank you. You're going to enjoy some delicious food. Yes. Absolutely. My father was actually born in the Virgin Islands. Okay. He was an Air Force brat, um, but he spent the majority of his youth there sailing and fishing and nothing but great things and great memories mm-hmm. to say about that. So I hope you guys have fun.
2: Looking forward to of it. Of course. Yep.
1: <laughs> well, for all of you listening out there, just uh, one more time, if you'd like to learn more about the Manili Firm, uh, visit allfamilylaw.com. And I do want to thank our, our guests today for joining us Courtney and Michael for all of you out there listening you know you can listen to these episodes 24 7 on businessradiox.com by selecting the first site studio or you can simply download them on your favorite podcasting application I listen on on Apple iTunes where do you listen Courtney
2: Apple iTunes Spotify Spotify, it? yep, yep. Spotify mm-hmm. is usually my number one go-to yeah, go so. yep. and what about you Michael Apple
1: Apple me too yeah, they the just put it on your phone for you yeah. it's so right. easy yeah, right 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 <laughs> I would like to make a special thanks to our uh, printing partners for the studio. It would not be possible without the help of Derek Brooks, Brandywine Printing. If you'd like to learn more about their full scope of services, please visit www.brandywineprinting.com. For our guests today, I am your host, Amanda Pierce, and this has been Forsyth Business Radio.